Revive our souls, O Lord, and guide us along right pathways for your name's sake. Amen. Why do I stand up here? Anybody? To feel taller? No. You see, the world looks very different from up here. Just when you think you know something, you have to look at it another way. Even though it may seem silly or wrong, you must try. Consider what you think. You must strive to find your own voice. Because the longer you wait to begin, the less likely you are to find it at all. Thoreau said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Don't be resigned to that. Don't be resigned to quiet desperation. Break out. Not my words, but the words of Robin Williams playing teacher John Keating in the movie Dead Poets Society. People do sometimes tend to go with the flow. What has been will be. But others try to gain a different perspective. They do things like travel or spend time in prayer or meditation. Or they read or do yoga or go on a run. Or they walk a labyrinth with the sole purpose of gaining clarity about something that otherwise has been unclear, vague, or deeply troublesome. But that other point of view is badly needed to gain understanding. Words and language can often limit the human experience. Perspectives that give us the ability to see sometimes take us to a place far more imaginative than what we might just be able to experience if we're caught up in our own thoughts. Think about those followers of Jesus who lived shortly after Jesus' resurrection. What has happened? What about us? What do we do now? This day and age, we have very similar questions. A quick read of history shows that as these early groups of Christians spread throughout the Mediterranean, they sometimes flourished. But at other times, they encountered persecution, all kinds of setbacks, sometimes destruction. The Romans, the Roman Empire, wasn't particularly friendly to those who didn't ascribe to the status quo. They didn't like people who found their own voice instead of the voice of the emperor. They didn't have it easy. Around the year 90, under Emperor Domitian, Christians seemingly began to experience persecutions and harassments in many parts of the empire. Their newly found passion for the freedom in Christ's love was being squandered, crushed by a powerful force that made the early church's future unclear and uncertain. And within, within the church, the fabric of true Christian community was tearing apart. Various groups of Christians in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, had fierce debates on whether Christians could engage in life with the wider community. Some said, 
Oh, yes. And others said, absolutely not. Lots of debates about who could be in and who could be out. Attacks on followers of Jesus by followers of Jesus. Do we ever, do we ever see this nowadays? Amazing. Enter a new text. This book, quickly titled The Revelation to John, a book with bad grammar, odd syntax, frightening images, and depictions of horrible trials to endure, a book not readily accepted by the church at all. Some outrightly rejected it. Some groups of Christians still don't use it to this day. And others did not incorporate it into the Bible until the year 419. Why all the fuss? The book must have had some kind of mysterious power that people misunderstood. Maybe some saw it as having potential to be misinterpreted or abused. Many passages of the Revelation to John are often used as a weapon towards people who are different, who do not believe in the same way. This book has a potential to hurt, to damage, to defame or destroy. So why use it at all? Because it is ultimately hopeful. What many of us have wanted from the book is that we've wanted it to be instructive, to tell us what to do. We want it to be a how-to book. And every time we open the book of Revelation for instruction, we get ourselves into trouble because it isn't supposed to be instructive. The first letter of John, a different book, written around the same time, says things like, Beloved, let us love, for love is of God. Because we have loved, therefore let us love one another. And so on and so forth. That book is instructive. But the revelation to John, written in an entirely different way, probably by a different person or community, is not instructive. Instead, it's supposed to be illustrative. It's ultimately illustrating hope. The scene depicted in today's second lesson has the old visionary named John looking around the throne of God at the very end of time, dazed and confused, wondering what he's witnessing. I mean, these people have palm branches in their hand. Is this a, is this a vision? Is this a repeat of the, the whole Palm Sunday story? What's going on? All these people Probably all the people who were ever created to be are surrounding the throne of God. And something beautiful is happening. Adoration and praise and worship. But who are these people? Who might they be? And the visionary is told that many of those are are the people who have suffered the great ordeals of their time. That Jesus has walked with them through it all. They've suffered loss. They've shed blood. They've faced betrayal, sickness, slavery, warfare. They've faced, they've been victims of an unjust world. They've been pushed in some way beyond any reasonable limit of anything they would have ever been able to be capable 
of enduring. But now, at the very end of time, at the end of all, they are ultimately okay. And then our passage shows us this wonderful imagery of the most loving, kind, nurturing, hospitable, and caring God that we could ever imagine experiencing in our lives. This king of love whose goodness faileth never. A God who will stop at nothing to take care of our needs and to restore us with abundant dignity and love. Look, we're still in Easter. We went to the tomb on Easter Sunday and we found it completely empty. And since then, we've been reading every Sunday accounts of all these resurrection appearances over the past few weeks. But today, we've blown personal resurrection appearances out of the water because the expansiveness of the power of Easter and resurrection is transporting us on this very Sunday morning out to the end of time, the end of everything we know. And in that end, God wins. And we do too. A new window gets opened for us. Just when we think we know something about life, something about God, something about Jesus and Easter glory, we get to look at it in another way. In a way that still includes all the aspects of our lives, the good stuff, the blessings, and possibly the ordeals and the trials, and the ones, the parts of our lives that we desperately keep quiet from others. But we can't be resigned to the status quo because an Easter God doesn't accept the status quo. God wants all the parts of our lives. God wants all of us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. All of us. We get to be included in this story of our salvation. We get to see. And in seeing, we find our own voice with a renewed sense of empowerment and blessing to see ourselves being washed in the blood of the Lamb We've gone through those times of trial, and we might go through more, just like those white-robed martyrs. But to see ourselves, this book gives us the ability to see ourselves washed and made free for all time from all that troubles us. It makes us free, forgiven, liberated, and loved. Easter makes the world look very different. Just when you think you know something, Easter makes us look at it in another way. Even though it may seem silly or wrong, we have to try. We can't be resigned to live lives of quiet desperation. The other point of view, the other possibility is badly needed to gain understanding, to do away with the status quo, because what has been will not be. Easter begs you to see anew to not live in quiet desperation, to see that Christ is alive, active, and working in us, that God is here, to see things in a new way, and to break out.